but of Jesus and uh, lock our minds into that with that key scripture, 1 Peter 1, 19. And maybe someone would like to get for some loud, clear voice. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Colossians 1 verse 20. Somebody like to do that in this section here. Colossians 1 verse 20. Uh, Sean will do that. So uh, let me just uh, recap. It sounds like I got an echo, Keith, uh, to me. Uh, let me just recap and uh, 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 on what we studied last week. Last week we took uh, one facet, which was atonement. And so somebody give me a working definition of the meaning of atonement. Okay, the test of teaching is made by review and application. And so what do we mean by atonement? Atonement means being made as one with God. Why would we need that? We were separated. Okay. Why were we separated, Roger? Sin has separated man from God. And therefore, there is a separation which is far beyond anything that we really can even grasp or comprehend. And so, uh, uh, what is a Bible verse that will give us some kind of meaning of that word atonement? It's a nice word. Uh, it's not uh, altogether clear when you start reading commentaries. They get a little confused because of an interchange of words and doctrines. And so, where's a good Bible verse that'll give us that doctrine of atonement? Uh, Ryan? What does Leviticus 17.11 say? Don't you hate these classes like this? It just makes you think and, you know, uh, you could, here you could be sleeping for 45 minutes and uh, we've got you trapped and you have to answer questions. Here's a whole mouthful of uh, statement and I've given you the blood upon, an, upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement. Okay, very good. So uh, this is uh, this is the uh, uh, this is the uh, doctrine. And so, what is the one requisite for atonement? What what's the one requisite that we uh, that we have to have for atonement? Sean, blood. That's it. Indispensable, absolutely essential. Uh, church doctrine, uh, worship teams, pageantry. Uh, eloquent speaking, uh, church buildings, ritual, useless. Without blood, you're wasting your time. Okay? So let's open this for a moment. First uh, Peter 1.19, this is a key scripture we've been using all the way through uh, teaching uh, news uh, session 
the precious blood of Jesus. You have, uh, uh, most of you, very little comprehension of how crucial this is and how rare this is in the church world today. First Peter 1.19. Sean, didn't I give that to you? Oh, who did I give that to? Nobody. Okay, well, nobody ought to read this. Carlene, would you like to read this for us? But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. So you just hold that scripture for me, Sean. There's probably no other uh, uh, truth that is so necessary to the Christian life and yet so neglected as the precious blood of Jesus Christ in, in uh, today's religious hodgepodge of doctrines. When I was a new convert, it seems like I, uh, I told you this. I may not have because uh, I preached in many places I can't remember. Uh, what I said. But at any rate, whatever I said was true. <laughs> so I was a new convert. I was working at Reynolds Metals Company in Phoenix, Arizona. And uh, I was on swing shift in a parametrics division. And with me uh, was a Jack Mormon. I was working with a Jack Mormon. So he began to uh, do the serious business of trying to proselyte me. Now he uh, had uh, a large amount of knowledge in Mormon doctrine. And so he began to work on me night by night because of the nature of the job we had was about every hour we had to go out and make our runs and check the recording instruments and make any repairs. And largely there was a lot of time to kill that there was nothing uh, to do. So we had quite a bit of free time. And so he began to try to proselyte me. And uh, uh, he uh, began to press me on words uh, like uh, salvation, uh, they said salvation. He began to uh, talk about words like faith and church and believe and, uh, and so on and so forth. And so he forced me into a study. I knew that I'd been saved. Uh, I had made a decision, uh, uh, but a very, very new convert and had very little grounding. And so he forced me into studying of the doctrines of, uh, of faith and I began to study the Bible. I'll never, I'll never forget that I uh, began to dig. And as I began to dig, it dawned on me that the difference in what he was saying and what we were experiencing in our church uh, had to do, and, 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 the, and the real focus that set it in, in, um, uh, in contrast was about the blood. I, uh, that came to realization to me that he's talking all the words but not one mention nor, nor understanding. He had no understanding of the blood atonement, of blood sacrifice of Calvary. He knew nothing about that, knew all the terms of religion. And so that came to me as a revelation uh, that this was the focus point of Christianity, had to do with the blood. I'll never forget on a Sunday morning, uh, I was getting ready for church. And we lived in a little house down 31st Avenue. We're getting ready to go to church. I heard Oral Roberts preaching on the radio. This is long before the days of TV. And as he's preaching on the, on the, on the radio, uh, I, there was a strange tingling that uh, came uh, on, on my body. And I was listening. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pondering. I'm, I'm fresh with this revelation of the blood of Jesus. This is exciting to me because I realize uh, this is what it's all about. 
And uh, I went to church that morning, have no idea what they preached on, responded to the altar call. And as I responded to the altar call, somebody uh, came and knelt behind me, and instantly I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, which the Spirit of God was trying to get entrance to me uh, for a couple of days. And so uh, I was wonderfully baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I uh, directly relate that to my understanding of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what released it because of the faith that was there. So, uh, having said that, we want to talk about the precious blood this morning in a new facet, and this is peace through the blood of the cross. Now, we're not talking about peace like peace of mind, although it may be some relationship. We're not talking about that. Uh, we're talking about peace uh, as it pertains to God and man, and Colossians 1, verse 20. having made peace through the blood of his cross. Now, having said those words, uh, immediately we want to uh, catch the imagery which will uh, bring you to an understanding of this uh, phraseology and what it has to do with peace by the blood of his cross uh, in understanding that there's a war on. Unsaved man is at war with God. You're backslidden, you're unsaved, you're at war with God. You say, well, you know, I'm not fighting God. Yes, you are. Because you are not obeying God, and there's a war on, which the Scripture describes in uh, various uh, amounts of, uh, of uh, text, and we'll get to this uh, uh, in a few minutes. I want James 4.4. 4. Somebody to get that for me right here is Casey. I want Romans 8.7. Uh, Woody. I want Colossians 2.11 and 12. Somebody right here. Colossians 2.11 and 12. Uh, Louis. Ephesians 4.18, uh, Dan, and I want uh, uh, Colossians 2, 2, and 3. Uh, Dorval, uh, McCarty, if you'll, you'll get that for me. So let me give you just a little uh, side issue now, because uh, one of the things that you run into uh, in, the, uh, in the Scripture is the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We run across those words all the time, but they're rarely understood unless you uh, you understand what we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, in the Bible, the Bible is couched in specific words and terms, uh, and there are some specific events that will bring you an understanding of how this war between God and man uh, was, uh, was solved. Uh, to, to give you a little understanding, we need to talk about blood covenants. Now, blood covenant is, uh, and, and cut, uh, uh, cutting of the covenant, one of the oldest practices, most widely uh, disseminated in some form or another uh, in every place of history, and planet Earth goes clear back as far as history is recorded. There was some form of blood covenant that lets us understand that this is a part of divine revelation, just like the floods found in every segment of society. They have some version of it, so is blood uh, covenant and cutting of the covenant. Blood covenant, you can only understand that through cutting of the, the covenant. There's a man who went into Africa, uh, to give you some understanding, to explore his, uh, and, and as a missionary. His uh, name was David Livingston. Uh, David Livingston went into Africa. Uh, he was unheard of because of no means of communication for many years. And a man uh, was hired uh, to go in and find David Livingston, and this became a great adventure. His man, man's name was Howard Stanley. Uh, 
As he went in with an expedition to try to uh, find David Livingston, he ran into hostile tribes. Now, these hostile tribes, uh, tribalism is still uh, rampant in Africa today, but in those days, it was territorial, uh, it was absolutely tribal, and that meant that tribes were at war, naturally, one between the other. You can remember uh, in Uganda, uh, Oboti and uh, uh, Idiot Amin, uh, and their their warfare, and uh, they killed each other off back and forth. Well, those tribal uh, uh, those tribal rivalries that uh, are war are still going on today. Those hatreds, those envies, still go on today. But in those days, it was absolutely rampant, and so uh, they had a a, a a form of getting along together, and uh, that is that uh, a weaker tribe would often cut the covenant with a stronger tribe. And uh, so that for various kinds of advantage, trade, territory, and so on and so forth. And so when uh, Mr. Stanley went in, he found that his uh, uh, his journey was impeded seriously because the natives were stealing what he had. Uh, they ran into skirmishes constantly. Uh, he was, uh, uh, even though they had superior weapons, they could not avoid getting ambushed. And so uh, he had a guide with him, and the guide said to him, what you need to do is you need to cut the covenant with these tribes. Now, this was repulsive to him, and he couldn't think of anything more repulsive than to enter into a pagan uh, 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 covenant with pagans with all their, uh, with all their ritual. And so, uh, finally, he uh, acceded, and he began to cut the covenant so that he could survive uh, in Africa. I want to read you a few excerpts that will give you some understanding. This comes out of uh, Bowman's... Uh, book, The Blood Covenant, and if you bear with me, says there was no prompt response to Stanley's request for strong friendship with the Bengala. There were prejudice to be removed and old memories to be overborne, and Umbilla's eloquence and tact were put to their severest test in the endeavor to bring about a state of feeling that would make the covenant of blood a possibility here. But the triumph was won. A forked palm branch was brought, says Stanley. Kokoro, the heir of Matabwiki, came forward, seized it, and kneeled before me as drawing out his short uh, falchion, he cried, Hold the other branch, Bulamateri. I obeyed him, and lifting his hand, he cleaved the branch in two. Thus he said, I declare my wish to be your brother. Then a fetish man came forward with his lancets, long pod, pinch of salt, fresh green banana leaf. He held the staff of Kokoro's sword-bladed spear, uh, while one of my rifles was brought from the steamer. The shaft of the spear and the stock of the rifle were then scraped on the leaf. A pinch of salt was dropped on the wood. And finally, a little dust from the long pod was scraped on the curious mixture. Then our arms were crossed, the white arm over the brown arm, and an incision was made in each, and over the blood was dropped a few grains of the dusty compound. And the white arm was rubbed over the brown arm in the intermingling of blood. Now Mata Bwiki lifted his mighty form, and with his long giant staff drove back the compressed crowd, clearing a wide circle and then roaring out in his most magnificent style, leonine in its lung force, kingly in its effect, people of Iboko, you by the riverside and you of inland, men of the Bengala, listen to the words of Matabuiki. You see Tandale before you, his other name is Bulamateri. He's the man with many canoes and has brought back strange smoke boats. He's come to see Matabuiki. He's asked Matabuiki to be his friend. Matabuiki has taken him by the hand and has become his blood brother. Tandale belongs to Eboko now. He's become this day one of the Bengala. Oh, Eboko, listen to the voice of Matabuiki. I thought they must have been incurably deaf not to have heard that voice. Bulamateri and uh, Matabuiki, 
are one today. We've joined hands. Hurt not bullimentary's people, and steal not from them, offend them not. Bring food and sell them at a fair price, gently, kindly, and in peace. For he is my brother. Hear you, you people of Aboko, you by the riverside, and you of the interior. We hear, Matabuiki shouted the multitude, and the ceremony was ended. A little later than this, Stanley or Tandale, as Butamateri, as the natives called him, was at Bumba, and there again he exchanged blood and friendship. My own be the chief, he said, was easily persuaded by Umbilla to make blood brotherhood with me, and for the fiftieth time my poor arm was scar scarified and my blood shed for the cause of civilization. Probably one thousand people of both sexes looked on the scene wonderingly and strangely. Young branch was cut and so on and so forth. He goes through it again. Here's another uh, record of, uh, of this. As the, it says the idea of blood covenant was revolting to Stanley, but he knew their situation was desperate, so he agreed. After several days of negotiations, arrangements were made for the blood covenant ritual. Stanley chose his interpreted Bison sub substitute, and the chief chose a prince as his substitute. The two substitutes went through the blood covenant rite while Stanley and the chief looked on. Both substitutes drank the blood mixture. Now Stanley and the chief were blood brothers. Listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Soon as they finished, Stanley said the priest stepped forward and pronounced the many blessings and good things the chief would now do for Stanley. Oh, that sounded good, he said. Then all of a sudden, the priest began pronouncing terrible curses upon Stanley. What's he doing now? Stanley asked his interpreter. Why is he cursing me? He's pronouncing the curses that will come upon you if you ever dare break this covenant, he answered. Stanley's interpreter then took his part and pronounced blessings upon the chief and his family and curses if he ever broke the covenant. After the covenant was sealed in their blood, Stanley said a mar marvelous thing happened. The chief stood up and said, now buy and sell with Mr. Stanley. He's our blood brother. I never had to worry one moment about my goods anymore, the explorer said. Nobody would dare steal from me because I was in a covenant relationship with the chief and his tribe. Stealing from a blood brother carried a death penalty. Stanley said he never knew a blood covenant to be broken in Africa. No man dared to break the covenant. If he did, his own family would turn him over to the hands of the avenger to be killed. So sacred was the blood covenant that it was revered and kept by succeeding generations. It was a perpetual covenant that cannot be broken or dissolved. Now listen to this. When a covenant is cut, it is often the custom for blood brothers to exchange gifts, symbolizing that everything else, that everything one has is at the disposal of the other if he needs them. Stanley suffered with stomach ulcers, and about the only nourishment he could take was goat's milk. He took a goat with him wherever he went all over Africa. It was his most prized possession. When he and the tribal chief came to the gift exchange step of the covenant ritual, the chief requested Stanley's new white goat. He said to the interpreter, Tell Mr. Stanley that since he's a blood brother, I want uh, him to give me his best. And I see that the thing he prizes most is his goat. I'd like to have his goat. Talk about getting your goat. <laughs> but it was very difficult for Stanley to do, but the chief would have nothing else. So Stanley gave him his goat. Then the chief brought his best gift and gave it to Mr. Stanley, a seven-foot spear coiled with copper around it. What will I ever do with this old spear, Stanley wondered. However, it wasn't long until he made a wonderful discovery. The chief's spear was known throughout the continent of Africa. It belonged to the chieftain of the most powerful tribe of the country. Wherever Stanley went with that spear, everyone bowed to him. Why are they doing that, he asked his interpreter. Because you're carrying the chief's spear. All you have to do is ask, and they will give you anything they have. Stanley said, I want a milk goat.
The natives gave Stanley a whole herd of milk goats. Oh, what that spear represented, lifting in the air, the spear opened the darkest regions of the continent of Africa for Mr. Stanley because of the authority that was behind it. It said this belongs to the mightiest chief in all Africa, and all the natives bowed their knees. Now, this gives us a little bit of understanding about the power of a blood covenant, and this will help us to get some kind of understanding, because when Livingston cut the covenant... The price of that was a goat, and so he uh, uh, he uh, was uh, very upset over that and so on, but the brass spear bought him instant favor because by that cutting of the covenant, he was made friends with the tribes that were lied to and had cut the covenant with that chief. And he uh, himself cut the covenant, Mr. Uh, Livingston, did a number of times. All right, let's come back now to an understanding of the Scripture because mankind is alienated from God and mankind is at war with God in his unsaved state. James 4.4, 4, if you read that, whoever I gave that to. Here's a very interesting little statement made from James. Paul begins to pull off. We're going to begin to uh, uh, delve into this business of friendship. This doesn't mean you go over and have a cup of coffee with somebody. Far more profound, far deeper. And he says that if you're a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. You're at, you're at war with God. There is no other. There is no in-between. There is no, uh, uh, no uh, kind of... Uh, 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 diluted, religious, uh, slimy, uh, religious thing where, well, you're okay, I guess I'm okay, and so we don't be, want to be, what does Mr. Barnes say, if you believe anything, you're an extremist? Yes, that's what I am. I'm an extremist. What does he say, that uh, if you have conviction to stick by them, you're intolerant? Absolutely, that's me. Look at me. That's what I am. I'm intolerant. Because, you see, I was a sinner when the, when the truth that was in this book through the blood of Jesus touched me. And when the moment it touched me, it brought me salvation. Not only brought me salvation and cleansing, it also brought me a new life and a relationship with God. And I began to realize that, that in that book are the words of eternal life. And God is extremely narrow. Jesus is very narrow. Jesus said, enter into this hard gate for... Uh, 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 Narrow is the gate that leads unto life, and few there be that find it, but broad is the way, and many there be that go into the path of destruction. Jesus was very narrow-minded. Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. You can read it for yourself, and it's found again in Luke. So what we have is we have man and God at war in man's unsaved state because man has been separated from God. We dealt with that. That's why we need an atonement. But more than that, there's a spirit working in man. That spirit that's working in man is a spirit of rebellion. It is a spirit of anarchy, actually. No authority, no law. Uh, I'm a law unto myself because when the devil said to, uh, uh, to our first parents, uh, you eat that fruit and you don't need God to tell you what to do. You can determine yourself what's right or wrong. In that moment, they plunge the human race 
into sin and they became the enemy of God and began to fight God and what God's program and God's revelation is. James 4, 4, you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. If you're a friend of the world, you're at war with God and there's only one objective and that's to make peace. Romans 8, 7. Enmity. That enmity means war. Man and God are at war in man's unstate, uh, unsaved or carnal state. Colossians 2, 11 and 12. Okay, we're going to come back to that before we're finished. Uh, here uh, speaks of uh, this reconciliation and uh, uh, the ending of the war. Ephesians 4.18. Alienated from the life of God. This is why you must be born again. Man in his un unsaved state, in his natural state, is a sinner. He's separated from God. That separation has brought him an enmity or war. There's a spiritual uh, force working in him, and that, uh, that is a spirit of anarchy, or he's a lawn to himself. Uh, he does whatever feels good. Colossians 2, 2 and 3. Okay, here's the reconciliation and through the knowledge of this. So what we have is an active guerrilla warfare, wholesale disobedience, assault on righteousness and truth, and purity. And so that war has to be settled before man can have a relationship with God. That war has to be settled. That war is not settled by going into church. You do not settle that war by putting on religious garb. You don't settle that war by uh, going to church Christmas and Easter. You don't settle that war by having a Bible in your home. You settle that war when you surrender and receive the cutting of the covenant, which we'll get to in a moment. And so redemption is the cutting of a covenant between God and man. That's what redemption's all about. And we're, uh, uh, we're talking about Colossians having made peace through the blood of his cross. I want several uh, scriptures right here in this section. Genesis 15, 7 through 18 is Gina. Uh, I want um, Colossians 1, 20 and 22 again. Uh, Pete, uh, Don Galati. Uh, I want um, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. I want somebody to get for me 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Steve, uh, uh, we get that. Colossians 2, 14. Somebody like to get that. Uh, it's Dave Burke and uh, Hebrews 2.17. Is it uh, Mick? If you'd like to get that for me. So here's, uh, here's a man. This man's name is Abraham. To understand the Bible, you have to understand Abraham. Abraham is the father of the faith. And it is to Abraham that God came and cut the covenant with him. You remember that God appeared to Abraham when he was in Ur of the Chaldees. He said, get up out of your country from among your people into a land that I'll show you. He first goes into Haran. His father dies. Finally, he obeys uh, five years. He lost five years there. Goes on down into the land of Canaan. 
And the Bible gives us some very interesting statements that unless you understand what we're just saying, you don't fully comprehend what we're talking about. And Abraham is the father of the faith. When you study the life of Abraham, then you begin to see where this cutting of the covenant or the New Testament flows out of this man, Abraham, because the Old Testament uh, is, a, is an embracing of, uh, of a covenant between God and man, and uh, the New Covenant then is going to flow out of Abraham and his seed. So Genesis 15, 7 through 18 is a very, very interesting scripture. Gina will read that, uh, read that for us in a loud, clear voice. Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit? I'm hearing you, Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. But how am I going to be sure about this? Go ahead. Here, here now comes the oath God's going to make. He's going to say, this is what's going to happen to your descendants. We're in the process of cutting a covenant. Go ahead, Tina. God manifests his presence, it passes through those. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. That word made literally means cut a covenant with Abraham. On that foundation, the entire revelation of the Bible flows from that point and from that period. Understanding that uh, will give you tremendous release in your faith because Jesus Christ on Calvary brings the new covenant and cuts that for both God and man. Colossians 1, 20 through 22. Here's just an illusion. We'll, we'll catch some more of this. Here's uh, the allusion to Calvary's tree where Jesus Christ sheds his blood on Calvary's tree for both God and man because he was both God and man. That's why he's called the only 
begotten Son of God. When you hear somebody saying, we're little Jesuses, uh, run for your life. Amen. <laughs> we're not little Jesuses. You have someone speaking by false doctrine. Only one Christ. Uh, uh, in in uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. The French translates that, God gave His unique Son. How many of you know what unique means? What does unique mean? What does it mean, Eleanor? Only one. That's what unique means. Okay, that's very specific. And so here, as Christ was conceived through the Virgin Mary and an action of the Holy Spirit, as the Gospels record, there was produced a unique being. This was the incarnation. And out of that uh, union between the Holy Spirit and uh, Mary, came forth Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who shed His blood, and that blood is unique blood. That's why it's called precious. There is no other blood like this blood. All the types before had pointed forward to that, and the Scripture says there was a reconciliation. The war is over between God and man by this action. Ephesians 2, 14-18. Okay, this scripture's profound statements and ramification is, is the word peace is used three times. It's not a peace of mind, it's peace between God and man, and that's accomplished through the cutting of the covenant uh, upon Calvary's tree. Colossians 2.14. All right, the, the handwriting of the, audio, of, the, of the ordinances is the Ten Commandments. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and uh, you don't do that. You'd like to do that, but you don't do that. You really do love yourself. Right? You might as well not amen, okay? Uh, you'll not lie, you'll not steal, uh, all the things that are there. And so all we have to do uh, to a person who feels really righteous and religious is just put sim ten simple statements upon them, and they're dead. They're, they're, they're headed for a devil's hell. You'll never survive because you do not keep those commandments. You have never kept those commandments. The only hope you have is that the blood of Jesus Christ would avail for you and wash away and blot out the handwriting of an ordinances that was against you and make you at peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2.17 Okay, here we've just gotten a few scriptures that talk about reconciliation and reconciliation. That reconciliation is talked about is between God and man who were at war, but now there's peace. This word peace is used there is literally bound together with God. Okay, carrying that a little bit further now. This means then, if this is true, 
that we're friends with God or friends of God. In other words, it's an armistice between uh, the souls of men and an indignant God. But more than that, more than just simply escaping hell, more than just a fire escape, more than just having a religious uh, 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 fire escape, by this covenant, just as Stanley was made friends with the chief, Friends meant that everything the chief had was at his disposal. It meant that everything that Stanley had, the chief could set. That's why I said, I want you to go. And there's no argument. You follow me? That's what friends are. And this brings us very close to an understanding of the wonderful, wonderful benefits and the glory of this business of being at peace with God. It means that we're made friends with God. When I was, uh, I believe it was the first trip that we took to Israel, uh, we were with an English uh, uh, Jew. He immigrated from England. He was taking us through the mosque, uh, 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 the Dome of the Rock, and the Golden Dome uh, that's where the temple used to be. And uh, as we were there, he made an interesting statement that I've never heard since then. He pointed up as we're inside to the Arabic writing that's on the inside of the dome. And he said, you see that writing that's up there? And uh, we all looked up to see that. And he says, what that says is uh, there is only one God and he has no friends on earth. And immediately when he said that, I said, that's a lie. Too bad for Muslims. Because Christianity isn't just a religion where we go through some religious ritual. This means that the war is over. This means that a loving God, a redeeming God, a Savior, has cut the covenant and God and man now are at peace or they're bound together. And, uh, and in that, there's a potent revelation uh, of our relationship with God. I want to, uh, Genesis 18. 16 through 18, maybe on my right-hand side over here. Uh, Mike Solano, is it? Uh, I want James 2, 23. Uh, uh, Hugh, uh, I, want, um, I want John 15, 13 through 15. Anybody over here? Loud, clear voice. Is David Barnes in the back. And Catherine, would you like to get for me Genesis 17, 9 through 14? I want somebody to get for me Genesis 17, 24 through 27. Uh, Richard Hernandez. I want Colossians 2.11 again. Uh, Paul Reidenauer and Philippians 3.3. 3. Uh, Roger Holloman. Okay, so here's a potent revelation. And that revelation is that God and man are now friends. What does that mean? Does that mean that, uh, that we have a cup of coffee together? Does that No, it's far more profound than that. And, uh, and to understand this is a great blessing to your faith uh, that will enable you to release your faith to uh, survive in the circumstances of life. Genesis 18, 16 through 18. Loud, clear voice, Mike. Okay, so here is God. He's going he's gonna to go down, and uh, he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to fry some queers. <laughs> you think God's changed? I have news for you, my friend. Yes? 
You can get saved if you're immoral. But I want to tell you that God's standards have not changed it and he will not tolerate sodomy. He's going to do this and he says, shall I go down and do this and not tell Abraham what I'm going to do? Now that's a strange statement, isn't it? You mean God is going to condescend and he's going to not take certain actions before he uh, goes and talks with uh, a man named Abraham? He's just a man. But you see... Uh, something's changed in the relationship between Abraham and God. And that happened in, 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 in Genesis chapter 17, where a covenant was cut. And when that covenant was cut, it changed all the dynamics of relationship. And uh, in James 2.23, picks this up and just says an interesting statement. Abram believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, that is a powerful, powerful statement, because that brings with it uh, the ramifications uh, that, uh, that we have been uh, talking about. So this, this has ramifications. Uh, he's going to share with Abraham the joint endeavor that he's going to uh, launch. He's going to judge sin. And he, want to, he wants Abraham involved in that. Not only that, but he knows that Abraham has some relatives down there. And he doesn't want to go and judge that until he informs Abraham what he's going to do. And as he does that, you know the story. Abraham begins to intercede. And uh, he intercedes, said, Lord, if there's 50, you're you know, you going to do that. If there's 50, are you? Shall not the God, uh, judge of all the earth, do right? And he continues to intercede, and he finally moves it down to 10. And God said, I wouldn't do it uh, if there's 10 there. And, uh, and so uh, uh, Abraham assumed that there would be 10, which there was not. There's simply a lot. And his two daughters uh, that came out, his wife came out. She didn't make it. And you know the story because he was a friend of God. But in this is going to be resources, there's going to be provision, there's going to be protection, there's going to be possession, and there's going to be inheritance. All that's going to flow out because he was a friend of God. Uh, Rob? My friends, if you do whatever I... You see, friends uh, brings obligations, doesn't it? If you're a friend of God, there's obligation. You no longer can do with impunity whatever it is you feel like doing or you want to do or whatever your glands begin to cry out for. You're in a relationship with a covenant God. Go ahead. Okay, here's the Lord Jesus. He's with his disciples. He's, he's bringing this business of friendship down of what a real friend is. So the mark of this now, or the token of the covenant, is going to be uh, circumcision. Genesis 17, 9 through 14. Who did I give that to? Uh, Catherine.
Okay, here is the mark, uh, the token of the covenant. It's going to be in circumcision. Uh, remember that when they cut the covenant, there's going to be a mark. Uh, the, uh, the wrists are slashed. This is uh, how they practiced it in various places. But God says, this is going to be the token of my covenant. And he gave the mark of circumcision, which is to be in the flesh, of these who were the descendants of Abraham as an everlasting token. Genesis 17, 24 through 27. Okay, here it's carried on out. Now Colossians 2.11, we're going to move this in uh, very briefly into the new covenant, which is the covenant Jesus Christ cut. And this is going to be a mark also, Colossians 2.11. Not with, not with hands. This is a different kind of circumcision. The body of the sins of the flesh. Your old nature. And uh, it's all its practices is you're going to roll these away. You're going to cut these away. Go ahead. By the circumcision of Christ. Now this has profound ramifications. Philippians 3.3. 3. Uh, let's catch that. Okay, something's happened to us in a spiritual realm that is a true picture of that of which circumcision was simply a type. We have about a, room, a time for about two or three questions uh, if, if we could move through this. Peace, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Do we have some questions or comment? Anybody? Uh, uh, Jeff Brown. Uh, it is a public declaration of something that's already happened to you, uh, which uh, God requires. And so, in a sense, it is, yes. Not, not truly, it's simply the public declaration, this has already happened in your heart. Baptism is the outward declaration before the world that your heart has been circumcised. You've received Christ as your Savior, you're born again. That's what baptism is. Uh, uh, yeah, you've only been going here 27 years. Uh, sure. Yes. They have a system of religion, and that system of religion is uh, is works, and uh, and, uh, and not only Muslims, but all religions, uh, one form or another, are works. You do something, and then God's pleased with you. But in Christianity, you believe something, and God's pleased with you because of the covenant that's been cut by Jesus Christ for both God and man. Casey. That's right. It isn't simply a static, dead religious ritual. There's power in it.
And that power is instantly able to change and transform and to overcome the sin. If people labor all their life trying to get rid of habits. They labor all their life trying to get rid of guilt and shame. They uh, go through all kinds of rituals. They're, it's, uh, they're not successful, but uh, in one moment, as they believe in Jesus Christ, it's rolled away. Praise God. And they're born again, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why that blood is precious. Aren't you thankful this morning? God bless you. I hope you're enjoying this study as much as I am. We're going to go into church right now.